0: From 12 News, this is Newsmakers. Welcome to Newsmakers. I'm Tim White. Ted Nisi is off this week, so I'm joined by my Target 12 colleague, Steph Machado. And our guest this week is Providence City Council President John Igliosi. Council President, good to see you. Welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. I want to start with crime. While overall violent crime is down in Providence, shootings and homicides are not. There have been more homicide uh, this year than in the last dozen, 20 so far. What do you think is happening?
1: What think's happening is the city of Providence is falling down on the job, protecting its constituents and the people of Providence. Is
0: that an indictment of the rank and order of the police department? No,
1: no, it's an indictment of the administration's inability to get academies up and out. For the past four years, the city council has funded police academies every year, and we've had to pull tooth and nail to get the administration to get academies going. As you know, we have one academy um, going to be graduating this December, and we're putting all the pressure we can on the administration to get another academy starting now. Just so you get a sense, when I first came on, I had about 500 police officers. We had community policing, we had patrols, we had bike patrols. People felt safe, they felt secure, uh, there was a lot of uh, continuity between the police department and the people they serve. We're down to 374. You don't have enough officers to do those types of jobs. Where should the number be? The number should be, anyway, at least 450 to 500.
2: But, Council President, the chief has said that more police officers does not mean less crime. So what other changes need to be made to decrease the crime in the city?
1: Well, actually, more police officers equal community policing. We need to bring it back. We need to create the the connection again, make the officers part of the fabric of the communities throughout the city. They need to create that empathy between the police department and the people they serve. Did
0: community policing really go away, though? I, I've heard you say that
1: before. I mean, did it? it didn't it's seem, it's we still a model that that's they're right. using. It's a model, but there's no, there's no um, people in that model. The problem is you don't have people walking in Avenue anymore. You don't have officers on bike patrols in all the different neighborhoods. It's, it's quite obvious, by the way. As you know, I, recently we heard they have, uh, they've, uh, uh, they have officers working the pedestrian bridge in downtown Providence. They have a pedestrian over, excuse me, officers there, but no officers in our neighborhoods. There's a disconnect going on. So we're protecting a piece of property, but meanwhile we're not protecting the lives of people of Providence.
2: What's happening with the effort to divert some of the calls, for example, mental health, um, substance abuse, to other social service agencies so that the police officers can focus on the more uh, violent crime calls that they get
1: well let's talk about that actually for the past 15 years the city of providence has invested in that we've had we have a social service component and we've done it for 15 plus years and the council has funded it and continues to fund it in fact this year's budget we funded even more money to expand that you know it has to be a combination of both right the bottom line is you know public safety is a priority for the city of providence for the people that live here and also the people who visit here right it's first thing second thing is the social component is important But the reality is the types of calls the police officers are getting aren't necessarily social service calls.
0: Well, there are a lot of mental health incident calls. they have done You're some correct. reporting on that, and they're called MHIs, and they are way up. To, to Steph's point, would these diversion programs, expanding them even further than maybe you have put in the most recent budget, be helpful for these oh, MHA Oh, there's no calls? doubt
1: about We definitely support the expansion of it because we know it works. It's been working for the past 15 years. Family services has been doing the go team, and it works. It has a positive impact. And they even testified it works. But they also said that on some of these calls, they want to make sure an officer is there with them because let's call it it is When you're dealing with people's mental health out in, out, in, out in the city, it can get really serious and go bad really quick and really fast. And a social service worker doesn't have the tool set to handle those types of, let's call it, Um, situations when it goes bad so they want an officer to be like a component you have the officer show the social service person show up if the social service person can deal with it then the officer can you know go on to another call meanwhile the social service can person can now address it and hopefully um, solve the issue there if not the police officer can help them with that process
2: so the uh, the city has created a new position um, that was going to be a police major now it's a civilian to address Um, community relations and lead the efforts on diversion. Michael Stevens was hired for that job. The council, um, you know, decided to uh, amend that job. So it was a civilian job because he's not a police officer. And in doing that, you decreased the salary for the job. Um, which I believe the Alorza administration disagrees with. Is, is, is that still under discussion to potentially raise the salary for that job? Or do you think Michael Stevens should be the person who gets that job?
1: Well, let's talk about it. First of all, when we originally went on this this journey, the whole purpose was to have a police major get, um, get promoted, <laughs> excuse me, an officer in lower rank get promoted, promotion opportunity, and to create a connection between the community and the police department and create the empathy that we need all the time, by the way. should be a constant conversation, right? Creating empathy between the police department and the community should always be a constant story, constant uh, communication, but also being part of the fabric of each other's lives, right? So we all agreed to do that. was the mayor and his people chose to um, do, let's call it like it is, want to hire the rec director to become a police major, which, by the way, is is totally irresponsible, and we cannot stand for that. What's next? We're going to hire the janitor to be the next chief of police? You cannot have people who do not have the credentials, the education or the ability and hand them a gun and a badge and say you're an honorary police officer. This is not, this is just irresponsible. So the council had to take action, and we did. So now what we did is this. We've amended the budget. In fact, tonight we'll be passing it. We, we maintain the police major position, stand alone. If the um, chief and the commissioner wants to promote another officer, there's another opportunity for that.
2: Did you fund that fifth police yes, major? Yes, we did.
1: And then the second piece is we created a truly civilian position, which is going to be a civilian, if you want to call it, liaison individual who's going to help bridge Same the gap. Same
0: responsibilities, though, Council President. Why, uh, different and, 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 responsibilities.
1: Well, so... Yeah, you different t- responsibilities because you're... The, difference, the fundamental difference is a police officer is a police officer who has a gun and a badge and dispense justice and protects and serves. So this you is lowered a, the salary this because? A, this is a civilian position, which is about creating a liaison between the community and the police department. We lower the salary, then lower the salary. It's right. commensurate. the police of the major, job
2: remains the same, but, the, no, but you did change the fundamental responsibilities. responsibilities. Yeah. Fundamental
1: responsibility is not there. Uh, whoever gets a civilian job, will not be a police officer, nor have the duty or the responsibilities
0: of a police officer. We need to take that serious. I guess my point is this. Um, If by lowering the salary Mm -hmm. uh, from what it was originally proposed, are are you saying in some way the city council doesn't value that, uh, what their responsibility is as much? Yeah, they're not a major. They don't have a uh, badge. They don't have a gun. You lowered the salary for someone who's supposed to be that liaison that you said was so important in the community. Correct. But actually, I view it the other way. I highly value the police major
1: position. That's how I look at it. The bottom line is there is a fundamental difference between a police major in the province police department and a civilian position in the police department. And we need to have that distinguished. Now let's say something else. This is not something like the pay is low. We're talking about this pay goes up to $127,000. Just so you know, I know the majority of my constituents will love to have that civilian job that kind of money. Most of them work two or three jobs and just try to make, make, you know, make ends meet. So it's not like we're paying this person something nominal. We're paying a substantial amount of money with pension, health care benefits, and it's a permanent position. Lem-
0: let me shift gears here. Providence is receiving $166 million in American Rescue Plan Act money, ARPA. The city has already used the most of any municipality that our colleague Ted Nisi uh, surveyed in the region at mm-hmm. $43 million. Part of that money, $7 million, was rushed through your council, avoiding the normal public input to provide small businesses with individual relief checks of $2,500, despite the council saying it's so urgent. Do you know how much money of that has gone out? At this time, I know the program is being put together. In fact, I just was
1: briefed the other day. So the answer is zero. Um, the answer is zero. Right. And because they've created, they're creating a program so the, the the businesses can have access to it because they had to create a system to do it. Because you just don't send out checks. It's a process where they have to submit, apply. Was the council aware
0: that the system had to be put in place and would take an extra amount of time when it decided to rush through the the funding? Of of course it is. I mean, Because any time you're dealing with federal or
1: state dollars or city dollars, you have to be responsible on how you dispense them. So they put together this, I just got briefed the other day, this wonderful, uh, um, what do you call it, internet system program where the individuals will be able to go onto the system, apply for and give all the appropriate background and information so you make sure you do get the check to the right individual and businesses because you just don't want to mail out checks and then all of a sudden you have a problem where people who sh- should should get checks don't, people who shouldn't do.
2: So when is that money expected to be right. actually in the hands of small businesses?
1: My impression is the the system's going to go live in the next two or three weeks and then the, there'll be a big promotion and a big, you know, you know, PROCESS TO um, LET THE PUBLIC KNOW ABOUT IT AND THEN HOPEFULLY WITHIN A MONTH.
0: WE'RE STILL TALKING ABOUT A LOT OF MONEY LEFT IN THE TABLE. I'M JUST oh, CURIOUS yes. HOW YOU... HOW WOULD COUNCIL PRESIDENT JOHN Igliozzi uh, WANT TO SPEND THAT MONEY? WHAT IS THE NUMBER ONE NEED FOR THE CITY WHERE THAT MONEY COULD BE HELPFUL? You know, number one need,
1: uh, there's a lot of needs, but, you know, we need to deal with the building blocks of the city, the short-term needs, long-term needs, right? Uh, city's finances is a priority right now. As you know, I'm sure you well well, aware of, we used some of this money already to balance last year's budget, Mm -hmm. this year's budget, and we're using some of it for next year's budget. So we still have a massive revenue shortfall, right? So the next term, the next mayor whoever that person is, is going to have to deal with that shortfall. And hopefully revenues and the economy starts turning around. So that's hopefully a goal. Second, you need to be very judicious and responsible with that money. You can't just spend it and just do, you know, do like one, you know, one-off types of programs. I think you need to focus in on the financial foundations, making sure the building blocks of the city is working, whether it's making sure the um, revenue loss, Making sure if we can show up the pension system, um, ideas which this
0: money cannot be used for.
1: No, but you can you can do a couple of things, right? Which is, for example, we let's say we use money to buy this with. Um, excuse me. We use, we're gonna buy money. We're gonna buy ten fire fi, fire trucks. Instead, we use that money to go to go into the pension, and then instead I use the money to buy 10 fire trucks. So there's a way to, there's a path. I'm not saying it's perfect, but there is a way, therefore I can actually then help shore up the pension system, for example. So there's ways in which we can do certain things. I'm not, we haven't gone through all of them, but the city's finances should be number one, public safety, security, um, and also making sure the quality of life issues in the the city are addressed with this money, and also, by the way, um, what do I call affordable housing?
2: Do you anticipate adopting the recommendations of this COVID uh, task force that's been meeting every Friday to come up with a plan for this ARPA money?
1: Um, I don't know. they It's supposedly going to come with recommendations, and then the council will then deliberate and decide which ones make sense. The One of the biggest concerns we have is we don't want them to, I know they were getting a lot of pressure from all these little small groups and stuff like that, you know, looking for a quick, you know, quick fix, quick money, but we need to be very judicious with this money. We need to be very financially responsible. So we have this largess yes of money. So we should try to do everything we can to try to fix some of the systemic financial problems of the city with the money. So this way, we can protect the future of the city.
2: I mean, you did decide to give uh, some of it to WaterFire amid mm. a lot of public pressure, and and from mm. that organization saying they might collapse if they don't get more money. You might you may hear a lot of organizations saying we need this money and fighting for your attention. Do mm. you not intend to give. Um, grants, you know, individual grants like that?
1: No, I think with the, one of the things they have to, that's a valid point, in Water Fire, for example, the COVID money is used for that type of um, situation. And it was important to try to kickstart the city, right? We need to do that. Second, I think we're going to try to put a certain portion on the side to allow that grant process to happen, but not the largesse of it. You know, so there'll be a process where certain money will be available. People will, uh, businesses will be apply or, Certain organizations, and they have to explain why. We just don't want people just getting a check. It's like show that there's there's a you know what's going on with it. You know, COVID really had impact. What was the impact, et cetera, et cetera. So
0: that's going to get fleshed out. You uh, said it in an earlier answer. Whoever's going to be the next mayor, are you considering a run for mayor? Could that be you? Well, you know, I, first of all, I have to be
1: thankful that I've, I've been able to serve this long. I've been a public servant for a long time, and I'm really grateful for my constituents and my family and friends who have supported me over the years. Um, I see on the horizon a lot of opportunities, whether it's citywide or statewide. So right now I'm working with my advisors and especially my family. And determining what's the best path forward for me and so is that yes you're
0: considering it you're kicking the tires we're cons- on, a, we're con- on a run we're, for every, mayor everything's on the table
2: how likely is it that you run for state rep there's been discussion about perhaps rep Perez would run for your city council seat mm-hmm. which if our viewers don't know you you cannot run for again because you're term limited would you run for rep Perez's seat
1: no I th- I think um we're right now we're looking leaning towards either you know city or statewide I think I have I think we have an opportunity and we have a lot to offer to the people of Providence and the people of the state of Rhode Island and and see if um, potential candidacy makes sense to them
2: what statewide seat would you run for
1: well there's several all, all open right now so Treasure? I don't there's all different kinds okay so uh, I'll leave it at that so we're definitely everything's on the table and uh, I'm excited about the possibility but I'm also have to make sure the public is excited about the possibility
0: we have a couple of minutes left I believe uh, I'm curious if you think the state takeover of the Providence schools has been a failure
1: uh, no, I think, actually, I, I, you have to give it a chance. You have to get an opportunity. It took decades to get us in where we are with the school system, and it's going to take a good five-, ten-year plan to get us out of it.
0: Um, there have been causes, you know, for the city to take back control. Where do you land on that?
1: I've, I think that's just being irresponsible at this time. The city, Stick has, with it for the city has failed. The city can't do it. Doesn't have the doesn't have the ability. It doesn't have the, the political will. doesn't have the skill set. Let the state give them the support. Given the opportunity to turn it around. And let me say at the end of the day, mm-hmm. we need to start f- focusing on, doesn't matter if it's the city or the state, the kids need to get a good education, and they're not. We are failing these kids, and we need to give the support to the state right now to help turn it around. We need to stop bickering and help these kids.
2: When you say stop bickering, there's a lawsuit now between um, the mayor and the city council sued the state over funding. Um, because the city's been level funding the school department. Should the city be giving more money to the schools to turn them around? Well, let's
1: talk about, first of all, actually, I want to say it's a unilateral case on the administration's part. They never briefed or informed. But isn't the, the city counsels. council listed a The city a council's a plaintiff. Are you saying you were unaware? We
0: were, we were unaware, no, we were briefed. So, so you didn't know before, prior to the complaint being filed that the city council was going to be a plaintiff? I can on tell suit. you that I was never aware Are you going of to withdraw the city
1: council said, from the city? I was never aware or briefed on it. So now I'm waiting to hear from the the, the, uh, me, the city solicitor to tell me what our options and see what the council. But right now I think that's what they went. But let us let me flip back to what you said about which is the um, where do we go from there, I think you said, right?
2: Yeah, well, should the city be giving more money right. to the school department? Well,
1: I think, you know, come. of... A few of the conversations I've had with the um, school system is that I'm not necessarily opposed to giving them more money, but I want to see, like, for example, one of the initiatives we're doing right now in the city council is that we're bringing free Wi-Fi to all our parks and recreational centers. So one of the things that I realized is that we need to have that kind of system in our school systems. The kids in our neighborhoods have a need. Wi Fi is important. I know it sounds, but it really is. It mm. has access to education. So, one of the things I, I've, I bandied about was say, listen, I want to look towards giving you more money, but can you guarantee me that you will get, bring free Wi Fi to all the kids in the school system? But you
2: don't get to say how the money's spent anymore because no, the no, state took over. No,
1: but every year they do have to ask us for a check and money, right? So, I view it as a we need to be advocates together and avoid being adversarial. So you have to, t- listen, you have to turn the corner. At the end of the day, you got to stop the brick. you got to be advocates for the kids. And I'm just using an example. School system, I'm not necessarily against giving them more money. Show me where you want to spend it. I'm just giving suggestions on maybe a path forward. That's, what, that's by the way, that's what being a pragmatic um, approach to governing is, right? Not governing through social media, trying to find a compromise, trying to find a path forward that benefits, in this case, the children. Not the city, not the state. These children, they need the benefit. We need to do everything to help them.
0: All right, City Council President John Igliosi, unfortunately, we have to go. Thank you very much for joining us. When we come back, Target 12 investigator Eli Sherman joins us for a reporter's roundtable. Stay with us. You're watching these makers.
1: I don't think you did anything illegal. Do I think it was some bad judgment I gotta tell you yeah I do I'd be lying to say
2: otherwise I mean there's just no way I can put lipstick on this one
0: that is the chairwoman of the House Oversight Committee, State Rep Patricia Serpa, during one of the several hearings um, looking into a controversial state contract awarded to a politically connected consulting firm. Welcome back to Newsmakers. I'm Tim White alongside Target 12 investigator Steph Machado and our colleague Eli Sherman. Hi, Eli. Welcome back. Let's start with ILO Group. I like to say two and a half hearings were, uh, were held this week on that state contract worth up to $5.2 million that uh, ILO Group landed. There are questions from lawmakers, as we heard, as to whether they had the fast tracked uh, track to that contract and circumvented the normal bidding process. Senate oversight hearings on Monday, House on Tuesday, and then even the Senate Finance Committee got uh, asked a few questions about it. That's so why I say there were two and a half. Uh, what did we learn from the hearings?
3: Yeah, well, just to start, it was like six hours of hearings just between the Senate and the House. You're welcome. Yeah, focused entirely on this contract. And, you know, lawmakers are really interested, uh, especially on the Senate side on the first day, of looking at this Zoom meeting that happened on March 5th. And I'll take you back. The governor uh, took office on March 2nd. Mm -hmm. Uh, The ILO group, the one that we're talking about today, that incorporated on March 4th. March 5th, they uh, the governor called a Zoom meeting, and he invited uh, among the people that were there were uh, the managing partner and co-founder of ILO, Julia Raffel-Bear. She was invited, as was her boss, uh, a man named Mike McGee, uh, who's the CEO of a nonprofit called Chiefs for Change. We should say
0: not boss at... ILO GROUP, HE DOES NOT WORK FOR ILO GROUP, IT'S THE nonprofit CHIEFS FOR CHANGE.
3: AND AT THE TIME, JULIA RAPHLEBERA WAS WORKING FOR MIKE MCGEE. AND THEN, uh, THE GOVERNOR ALSO INVITED A COUPLE OF STATE PURCHASING uh, PEOPLE WHO OVERSEE CONTRACTING FOR ALL STATE CONTRACTS uh, IN RHODE ISLAND. NOW, I SHOULD MENTION THAT JULIA RAPHLEBERA DIDN'T END UP ATTENDING THAT MEETING, but we found out through testimony that during this meeting, right. the idea for this RFP process, this, this this request for bids to work on this contract that ultimately went to the ILO group was discussed during that Zoom meeting. And that you know frankly didn't sit well with a lot of lawmakers because as you mentioned off the top, they were concerned that perhaps because this information was shared, because uh, the idea for this was created there, that somehow that information got back to the ILO group people, and they had sort of a head start, if you will, um, on trying to secure this work. Yeah, at best, I think what lawmakers were getting at
0: um, from what we watched was it just reinforced the how unusual the process was, because it eventually the normal bidding process procurement process, ended and they were, the company was entered into what's called a master price agreement, which is all very thick and nebulous, but it was an unusual process throughout. And it did seem like, to me, anyway, my takeaway, I don't know if you agree, that the lawmakers are really energized for these hearings.
3: Yeah, you know, uh, all of us have watched a lot of legislative hearings. Too many. Hearings. <laughs> Too many. <laughs> um, and... Sometimes, you know, it, it, there can be varying levels of preparedness from the lawmakers. For whatever reason, they may have a lot of different things going on. Um, it, it may be special to one or two of them who are really ready. I was really struck by how well prepared so many of them were on this topic. They had really done their homework, they looked into a lot of the underlying issues. And um, as you said, they were, were very energized, had a lot of questions. You know, I should mention that representing the McKee administration were Jim Thorson. He was one of the people that was at that March 5th meeting. He's the head of the Department of Administration, along with his chief finance counsel. Uh, sorry, his chief legal counsel, yep. din Major. Um, and they were at both. And then a third person, the head of purchasing, Nancy McIntyre, was at the Senate legislative hearing.
2: So no one from the governor's office?
3: Nobody from the governor's N- office. Nor ILO Group. Nor ILO Group, nor RIDE. And it should be mentioned that the ILO Group ultimately was hired to help on education initiatives, reopening schools, um, along with advancing some of these municipal education programs, which is uh, a... a, a project that's close to the governor and um, but none of those people were there to answer or answer any of the underlying questions about what it is that this contractor is doing today and that again did not sit well with a lot of lawmakers who felt like uh, the you know the answers were deflecting or you know the people from the administration could not answer some of their basic questions
0: all right I might come back with another uh, ILO question for you Eli but Steph. First, an important election in uh, Senate District 3 in Providence this week. Sam Zurier, who's a former city councilman, uh, won the primary. He will face off against Republican Alex Cannon in the general, but it's been widely viewed that the primary was the most important uh, part of this election. What does it say about Senate District 3 that Zurier emerged as the winner here?
2: Yeah, I mean, this was a race that had five uh, credible candidates who all had some kind of public service um, experience. Some of them were new to politics, though. And there's been a lot of talk after the uh, results saying that um, two of the more progressive candidates may have split uh, a certain percentage of the vote. But look, Sam Zurier is a well-known, uh, good name recognition. He was a mm-hmm. city councilman for eight years in Ward 2, which was one of three wards In the Senate district, and the turnout was very high in Ward Two, which is where he, uh, which is the area that he represented. He was popular and well known for a weekly newsletter. I got to put you on the spot there. What is
0: what is high turnout (laughs) for this type of vote? What are we talking about? So there were,
2: so total there were 4,055 votes uh, in this Senate district race, which is an astounding number for a special election in a Senate district. It's higher than that uh, than the primary for that Gail Golden won in uh, 2012, which was the last time the seat was open without an incumbent. So very high turnout for a special election. I have covered a number of city special elections lately that have had uh, abysmal turnout because Mm -hmm. it's hard to get people to the poll when it's not a regular election day with other stuff on the ballot. So high turnout was a a major factor here, but Sam Zuria has mentioned himself, he still won with about 30% of the vote because it was a five way race. He did not get a majority and he said, That's not a mandate and he wants to, he says he wants to hear uh, from the other candidates and the people who didn't vote for him as he moves forward um, you know, he does have to win the general election, but it's a heavily left-leaning district, so the assumption is that the Democrat is uh, heavily favored.
3: Yeah, one thing I'd add too, just yep. about that part of town, is that there are a lot of expensive homes on the east side of Providence, mm-hmm. and so there's a lot of taxes that get charged over there. Zuri is someone who, over the years, has spoke very intelligently about the city's finances problems, its pensions woes and I think that that resonated probably with a lot of voters as well.
2: And just to note he he, if he wins the general election he is only going to be in this job for a year before he would need to run again in 2022 and the political co-op progressive one of the progressive candidates Gina Pham uh, made it pretty clear she said I'm not going anywhere and so he this might be a one-year job interview for him um and there could be a rematch of some or all of these candidates next year
0: 30 seconds left here um steph you an interesting report about how 86 percent of city uh, employees are vaccinated that excluded the police department which is sort of an important department when are we going to know their numbers do you have any idea
2: uh possibly by the end of this week but the police department did not start actually collecting the vaccination records of their officers until this week despite the deadline being last friday because the union was trying to negotiate some of the details around this new policy that says you must be vaccinated. And if you're not, you have to get a weekly COVID test. So hopefully we'll have those soon.
0: And those stories are on WPRI.com. Get caught up in the ILO hearings there as well. For Eli Sherman and Steph Machado, I'm Tim White. We'll see you next week on Newsmakers.